Well, welcome back to our series in the book of John. Um, about a thousand months ago, we started off the book of John, and we were told right at the beginning, John writes that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to unveil himself, to reveal God to us. And for 12 chapters of the book of John, we walk through three years of Jesus' life where he kept on revealing God to the world. But in the last month or so, we've really put on the brakes, and we're going to spend, we spent five chapters looking at just one night in Jesus' life, the last night of Jesus' life, his last conversation with his disciples. Twelve chapters on three years, and five chapters on just one conversation. This is the most important conversation in all of Earth's history in regard to revealing God to the world. And tonight we continue that discussion, this conversation, as Jesus has left the upper room and as he walks towards Gethsemane, where he will be betrayed and a few hours after that, tried and executed. But to understand tonight's conversation part better, we have to remember that two nights ago, two weeks ago, Jesus said, God will love the church. And Jesus is a vine and we are the branches and we are to love him and stay in him. But last week we heard that while God loves the church, the world will hate the church. And tonight, in this part of the conversation, we're going to be told, we're going to be told that, uh, that a specific part of the world will hate the church as well, and that's the religious part. And we're going to see this conversation occur in three sort of areas. The first one is Jesus is going to tell them, the religious part of the world will hate you. Then he's saying, don't worry, because like I said before, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you but this time he's got a different role. He's not going to be protecting us. He'll be condemning the world. And also Jesus wraps up this part of the Bible by saying the Holy Spirit will also play a third role to be the Christian's guide. So let's work our way through tonight's passage. The first part is the religious will actually hate you. And we see that in verses 1 through to 4. So come back with me to chapter 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember what I warned you about them. I did not tell you from the beginning because I was with you. The very first thing Jesus does is he offers them a sign that a speed bump is about to come. It's kind of like when you're at Chatswood Chase and there's a little sign that says speed bump. You slow down and you hit the speed bump and you go over it and you continue driving, right? Imagine if you didn't have that sign, you just, just sort of went at full pelt and just hit the speed bump, boom, and just crash into the wall or crash into some other car or worse still a pedestrian. Well, Jesus is preventing that from happening. He says, I'm telling you in advance so you don't derail your Christian life and fall away. So what is this speed bump that's coming up? Well, the speed bump is not only will the world hate you, but the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders will hate you. Now, when we hear this in 2019, we say, of course, you know, we see this all the time. The Jewish people hate Jesus and and the Pharisees and all the Sanhedrin, they all hate Jesus. It's natural for us. But it wasn't natural for them. You see, if you are one of the 11 disciples walking to Gethsemane with Jesus at this point, or if you're one of the first Jewish readers of this Gospel of John, 
this is a very strange and scary concept because you are Jews. Jesus is a Jew. And all through the Old Testament, it's the Jews who have been the custodians of God's law, God's truth. And the leaders have been teaching and leading God's people. And so for you to hear that even the Jews are going to attack you, the religious people are going to attack you, is a scary thing. And why are we going to do it? Well, Jesus says, because they don't know the Father or me. These are shocking words. What do you mean they didn't know the Father? They've had the whole of the Old Testament to know the Father and to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. But yet, when the Messiah comes, they don't believe in him and they don't believe in the Father who sent them. And because of that, they will hate Jesus from last week and hate his church. And this week, even the Jews themselves will hate Jesus and hate his church. Now, this has happened. This, this happened in the first century with these 11 men, and it will happen all through church history, and it's happening even today. All the way back with these 11 men, 10 of them will actually be killed for their faith in Jesus. Now, I realize you can't read all the fine detail here. What's important is that only one of these guys, John, the guy who's writing this gospel, actually dies peacefully in a bed. But church history tells us that they actually dipped John in a boiling vat of oil to try and kill him, and miraculously, he didn't die. And so that's why he got, he got to die naturally. Everyone else was killed. So for these 11 men, yes, they really were killed, oftentimes in the name of God. But it's not just the first century. It's not just Jesus' time. Also, later on, about in the 1600s, uh, there's a, a, a big event occurred. Right? And this is where the, the English church, the Anglican church, was trying to put pressure theological and also political pressure on the Scottish church, the Presbyterian church, and they're doing it through various means. And one of the means of trying to do it was that the Anglican church, the English church, tried to make the Scottish church, the Presbyterian church, adopt a prayer book uh, from them. And this was in the church, but also politically as well. Back in those days, it was the same thing. And two sort of, uh, two sort of strange people get, got celebrated from this. The first one is a woman called Jenny Geddes. Now, Jenny Geddes... Uh, was in Edinburgh, and the Archbishop of Edinburgh got up and he tried to use this English prayer book in a Scottish church, and she got so incensed that she threw her chair at the Archbishop. And then people, other people started throwing their Bibles at the Archbishop to stop him from reading from this English prayer book. Yeah, and she became a bit of a hero because of that. So the common Irish Scottish people were like, yeah, go Jenny. Um, but another guy, he's, a, he's actually a bishop in another part of Scotland, Brechin. Uh, he heard about this. And so therefore, when he said, well, when we do it at our church, no Jenny Geddes in my congregation, thank you, he walked onto the stage and he whipped out, bam, he brought onto the stage guns, literal guns, pistols, to stop his congregation from reacting in those ways. Now, this is crazy talk, isn't it? Uh, but, and it's very, very complicated. You should go read your history books. But in short, the church has been in discord, has been fighting each other, even in the 1600s, over things like this. But it's not just in the 1600s, it's also today as well. Um, I have a friend who uh, is in Vancouver. He's an Anglican pastor there, and he just wants to teach the Bible. But he was kicked out of his church building, and now they meet in the Seventh-day Adventist building instead. And who was the one who kicked them out? The Anglican Diocese of Canada. They wanted to be politically correct. He just wanted to be biblical. And as a result, they kicked him out. And in fact, when I was chatting with him, he was telling me all these horror stories about what's been happening. And then he whipped out his little Air Canada frequent flyer card, and it was like a diamond tier. It was the top level. 
And it's because he's been flying around and flying back to England, to Lambeth, to answer for all his heinous crimes of preaching the Bible. So it's happening even today. But when we in Sydney hear this, we sort of think, oh, that's a bit strange because very few of us expect to die for being Christian. And in a sermon, if you disagree with something I say, then please come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, please leave your Bibles and please leave your chairs exactly where they are. No, no, no throwing of stuff at me. Just talk to me afterwards. No, we don't see that sort of stuff happen here. And also, no, we're not going to get kicked out of our church building anytime for, for preaching the gospel, for reading the Bible. But Sydney evangelical church circles is a bit of a strange thing in the world. And so we need to treasure this. We need to thank God for this. And while we have this, this freedom, lap it up. Come to church, read your Bibles, go to small groups, uh, do PTC here at church, um, look up the Moore College website and see if there's any uh, extra courses you can study there or SMBC. Lap it up because we're in a very privileged part of the world in a particular time of the world where this sort of thing doesn't go on. So praise God for that. But having said that, <clears throat> Christians fighting Christians is not just something that occurs because of theology. Um, sometimes it occurs just because of personality, just because of misunderstandings just because of different ideas. Um, a couple of weekends ago, I was uh, in Brisbane. I was doing a church camp there, speaking at a church camp there. And I was speaking to the senior pastor of this church, and he was saying, oh, our church is going through some rough times. There's lots of discord. There's lots of fights inside the church, a lot of conflicts. And so I said to him, oh, yeah, that, that sounds pretty bad. And he said, yeah, in fact, just a few weeks ago, we called an AGM. And our AGM, their AGMs, last about two hours. But all their congregations turn up, Right? Everyone goes there. It's packed, right? Everyone goes. So let the hearer understand. <laughs> but they, their AGMs are packed. Everyone goes. And this particular AGM lasted for seven hours from just after lunch until past dinner time. And I said, well, how come it lasted for so long? What happened to the other five hours? And he said, well, the first two hours were kind of a business, but the last five hours, different elders and different leaders of the church got up and pretty much told the congregations how bad this guy was as a pastor. Now, some of them were theological things, but a lot of them were just personality things, a lot of them were just um, procedural things. But there was a lot of discord in their church, and as a result of this, their church had a lot of conflict, and they weren't doing a lot of good work that they could have been doing. Now, at St. Andrews, we don't have that. Praise God for that, and long may it last. But, you know, we are just a fallen church just like they are, and we're made of broken people just as they are in a world which is broken and fallen as well. And even inside our church, sometimes there are people that we kind of like. Their personality matches our personality. We like their ideas. Uh, they've been nice to us. We've been nice to them. We've got a great relationship. And then there's other people in church sometimes, which our personalities don't click with, um, which we don't like their ideas. Uh, maybe they've hurt us in the past, or we've hurt them. We've hurt them. And as a result, we sort of support the guys we like, and we kind of back away from or even block the guys we don't like. It's going to happen in a church because we're fallen people. But let's work at not letting that hinder the fellowship here at church, hinder the work of loving each other, caring for each other, rebuking each other, and let it not hinder us as we face outwards and love Roseville and Chatswood and beyond. Let's work as a family, let's work as a team so that Jesus is glorified. Speed humps will come, but when they come, Let's slow down, let's take the hit, and keep going on. Well, the conversation continues, 
And here, the conversation, Jesus says, yeah, these conflicts will happen, but don't worry, you will not be alone even though I'm leaving you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. We'll read about that in verses 5 through to 11. And it says this, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The very first thing Jesus says in this section is that he's going to leave them, and it's going to be for their good. Now think about that. How can it be for their good that Jesus, their brother, their leader, their God, leaves them? I mean, these guys have left their whole lives for Jesus. They've left their tax booths. They've left their fishing boats. They've followed Jesus around. They've seen some fantastic stuff, but they've seen some pretty scary stuff as well. And now Jesus says, I'm going to leave you, and it'll be for your good. Those 11 disciples would have been perplexed, scared even. What did Jesus actually mean? Well, Jesus means that it's for their good because, well, underlying it all, if he doesn't leave them and go to the cross and die, then they won't be saved and neither will we. But immediately in this particular passage, it's for their good because as he leaves them, he will send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And that will be really good. It's just as good as Jesus. And in one sense, in, from this passage, having the Holy Spirit is even better than having Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a very important person. He is God. He's just as God as the Son and just as God as the, the uh, Father. He's a member of the Trinity, three persons, one God. And so therefore we need to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit does and his role in our lives. So why is he so good in this particular passage? What's his role? Well, in this particular case, it says he will show the world to be wrong by showing them their sin. Now, what sin are we talking about? Adultery, um, slander, murder? What sin is Jesus talking about? Well, in the passage it says, the sin of not believing me. The core of all sins is the sin of not believing Jesus. Right? We're told this in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. But later on, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The core sin, the sin that every other sin springs from, is one of disbelief, of one of not believing Jesus. You've heard me say a lot, um, sin, another way of describing sin, is not treating God as God. Now, you'll find that in the TNIV, the Tom New International Version. Right? And so not believing in Jesus is where every other sin is. There's a God up there who loves you and wants you to love him. If you don't believe him, if you don't treat him as God, you won't love God. And there's a God up there who says, I want you to love this world, I want you to love other people. And if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't treat him as God, you won't love those around you. And from there, every other sin crops up. And so the Holy Spirit will show the world that they're wrong about sin, of not believing in Jesus, and every other sin will flow from that. 
Well, the Holy Spirit will also show the world that they're wrong because of righteousness. And why? Because the Son is going to the Father. You see, these Jewish people were, going to, were righteous because they want to honour God. They're going to put people out of synagogues. They're going to kill them because they were honouring God. And certainly they're going to kill this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be God, this blasphemer. He's not righteous. We're righteous. And we're going to kill him to honour God. And so Jesus gets crucified. He rises and he goes to the Father. And the Holy Spirit tells the whole world, you're wrong about this guy. You're not righteous. He's righteous. Obviously, he's with the Father. You're not. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of the, the righteousness of Jesus. And lastly... He will convict the world and tell them they're wrong because of judgment. The prince of this world, Satan, is already condemned and will be shown truly to be that way on the final day. We saw that in the whole series of Revelation we had. And everyone who follows the prince of this world believes his lies instead of believing in Jesus, well, they'll be condemned with him. The Holy Spirit will show the whole world they are wrong when they hate the church and they hate Jesus especially the religious ones. And so the Holy Spirit is a very important person, a important member of a Godhead. He does all these fantastic things. Which is why it's a bit of a pity that in churches like ours, and in our church circles, uh, we seldom talk about the Holy Spirit, or we don't talk about him very much. Which is why it's so good that on, on passages like this, we get to spend some more time looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, churches like ours, Sydney evangelical churches, are notorious for not really talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, a while ago, there was a, a joke. Uh, it was made by Sydney Evangelicals about Sydney Evangelicals. So we're knocking ourselves, right? We're not knocking other people. We're just knocking ourselves, having a go at ourselves. And it's about the Trinity going on holiday. So the Trinity sit down for dinner, and they say, well, you know, where should we go on our next holiday? And uh, the father says, you know what? I want to go to Hong Kong because, you know, Hong Kong, great food, Great harbour, pretty dirty, but great harbour. Uh, good transport system, uh, let's go there. And you can go anywhere in Asia really quick. So let's go to Hong Kong. And the Son and the Holy Spirit are like, yeah, that's a good idea, Father, that's a good idea. Well, what about you, Son? What about you, Jesus? Because I think I might want to go to, to Boston. Oh, lovely river there, the Charles, all these great universities, a lot of history there. You get to watch the Red Sox play. Oh, let's go to Boston, that'd be fantastic. And I say, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And they like, what about you, Holy Spirit? What do you think? And the Holy Spirit says, hmm... I think I want to go to Sydney. Oh, the Father and the Son are saying, oh, that's interesting, Sydney. Nice harbour, Harbour Bridge, Opera House, near the Blue Mountains, great beaches. Well, why, why, why did you say Sydney, Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit said, well, because I've never been there before. Right? <laughs> and see, it's a kind of a joke, because we seldom talk about the Holy Spirit. It's like he's never been here before, right? Like we, don't even, we don't even know about him. But He's in the Bible. He's real. He's important. And in fact, the other one is that the, the evangelicals trinity is actually Father, Son, and Holy Bible instead of Holy Spirit. Now, it's important for us to actually understand the Holy Spirit because He's God, just as much God as Son and Father. But it's also very important that we understand the Holy Spirit's role because last week when the bishop was here, he was showing us that the, we are to testify to the world about Jesus and the Holy Spirit will testify as well. And tonight's passage reminds us that when we go out there to testify, to share the love and the truth of Jesus with our friends and our family members, we do do some good work. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit who changes hearts and minds, not us. So what we need to be doing is to be preparing, to be thinking, and all those sort of things, but we need to be actually praying. We need to be praying for opportunities to talk about God, 
We don't have to be fantastic evangelists and get up on a stage with 100 people in front of us. We can just talk to our friends and just share our story with them, like the Samaritan woman from several months ago. Just share our story, and we need to be praying for opportunities to do this. And this won't be that hard to come across because we have elections coming up now, and there's lots of discussion about things, about freedom of speech and all those Israel Folau issues, as well as asylum seekers, a whole bunch of stuff. It'd be quite easy for us to actually talk about our values in this world. But also we need to be praying because at the end of the day, no matter how good our answers are, no matter how clever our arguments are, that won't win them to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit's work in their hearts can change them, just like only the work in the Holy Spirit in our hearts brought us to know Christ as well. So the Holy Spirit is important and we need to be praying for him to work in the life of our friends and our family members who have not yet known Jesus. All right, and the last part is Jesus says, you know what, you're going to be hated by the world, hated by the religious people. It's okay because the Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you as your guide. And we'll find that in verses 12 through to 15. So come with me to verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said, the Spirit will receive them from me, and he will make it known to you. Jesus right here says, you know what, the Holy Spirit's going to come and act as a guide, because right now, there's a lot of things that I've told you that you don't understand and I'm not going to explain them to you again. I'm not going to give you the, I'm going to give you the full explanation then because you cannot bear this kind of knowledge right now. Within a few hours, I'll be betrayed, I'll be, I'll be arrested, and I'll be crucified. And you just can't bear this kind of clarification right now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He will make it clear to you. He will reveal all truth to you. And if you remember when we looked at John chapter 12, this is exactly what happened when the disciples observed Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a, on a donkey. There was a, there was a big fanfare, but the disciples didn't quite understand what it was. John writes down a few Old Testament quotes which show what it's supposed to mean. And the Holy Spirit made clear to the, the disciples what this meant, that Jesus was actually the Messiah. But he did it after Jesus was glorified and they received the Holy Spirit. So his job, Jesus doesn't reveal clarify everything right now because they can't bear it. The second thing about the Holy Spirit is you've noticed that the Holy Spirit is a person. Right? Have you noticed how many times the word he appears in just those three verses? Lots, right? Sometimes you walk around even Christian circles and you hear the Holy Spirit referred to as it, like he's some sort of Jedi force or some sort of, some sort of infinity gauntlet you know, stone. Uh, he's, he's that kind of power. And it, and it comes from because in the olden days we used to call him the Holy Ghost. But it's clear in passages like this that the Holy Spirit is a person. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person, is a he. And this person has got a role. And his role is different to the Father and the Son's. You see, the Father's role is to send the Son into the world. The Son's role is to die for us on the cross. The Father can't do that. The Holy Spirit can't do that. Only the Son can do that because he's fully God and fully man. And the Holy Spirit and the Father are not fully man. And the Holy Spirit's role 
is to actually guide people into all truth. Point them back to the guy who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit's job is to point away from himself and to glorify Jesus and glorify the Father. That's his job. That's his role. And so in one sense, it's right that we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit because he himself would not talk about himself all the time. Now, let me just clarify one thing with all truth. It's the truth of Jesus, right? It's how to relate to God. It's how to relate to people. It's not all knowledge on planet Earth, right? The whole, you can't just Holy Spirit uh, stuff into your head, right? If you're, really, if you're about to sit an exam tomorrow and you just realize, oh my goodness, all semester I've studied nothing, I've read nothing, don't worry, I'll just go into the exam and I'll just Holy Spirit, all truth, and it'll just come out on the paper. doesn't work that way, right? You can't just go and buy an Ikea shelf and just throw away the instructions and just Holy Spirit and just put whatever screw you want and bam, you have a shelf. It's not talking about all knowledge. It's talking about all truth, all truth that Jesus wants us to know. How to relate to God, how to relate to his world, right? The Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus and that's why it's right for us and our circle of churches, our friends' churches, to not talk that much about the Holy Spirit because he wouldn't want that. That's not his role. Um, I went to, a, about 10 years ago at my old church, um, we had a big explosion of interest in the Holy Spirit and spectacular gifts, you know, tongues, prophecies, healings, all that sort of stuff. And so myself, I took myself and a few of the leaders, we went off to uh, look at one of these churches, which was really causing a bit of a, a stir in Sydney at that time, and we just went there. And the church was actually quite good on many levels. But one of the areas where they were very, very bad in was actually their sermons, right? The sermon was over an hour, right? So if you're looking at the clock saying, yeah, Tom, you know, you're pushing 25 minutes now. Um, these were, if you went to that church, an hour plus, and they didn't open the Bible once. They kept talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit ministered to this other pastor in Brisbane and how this other pastor got a prophecy from the Holy Spirit and now they were studying that prophecy that this pastor in Brisbane got. And they spent an, over an hour doing that. And I think, well, look, Maybe that prophecy was the work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But even if it was, the way that they spent the whole sermon talking about it was clearly not the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit points us back to the Word. He's not there to say, look at me, look at me, look at me. He's actually saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Right? And so therefore, it's right and good that when we come here, we've always got the Bible open and we have, Jesus, have the Holy Spirit pointing us back into the Word. Now, here's the thing for us as well. When we go away and read our Bibles, and even before you come to church, let me encourage you to pray. To pray for God to use His Holy Spirit to open your hearts to the Word. So when you open it, you'll be sensitive to it, you'll be changed by it, and you can go away and change your life by it. Because it's good to read the Bible, but the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us and teach us and lead us in all truth, and so we need to be praying for God to work through the Holy Spirit as we read His Word together, and also at home by itself. Okay, well, we've seen quite a few things, haven't we? We've seen that not only will the world hate the church, but also the religious people will hate the church. Expect it, and when it comes, don't lose your heads over it, don't fall away, slow down, hit the speed bump, continue. Continue knowing that you're not alone, the Holy Spirit is in us, He will convict the world that they're wrong, and He'll guide us. He'll draw near to us and point us to follow Jesus. Amen.